Lord, I do pray that that, uh, that prayer, that praise uh, be something that's real in our hearts, especially as we prepare our, our, our minds and our hearts to receive the message that you have for us today. Lord, that's where it begins. As we would prepare for what is ahead, it begins, begins in us personally. And so we ask you, Lord Jesus, to do that work now. Holy Spirit, come and be present with us. Show us your message. Show us your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. The Parables of Jesus, new sermon series. If you weren't with us last week, glad you're here this week. I'm excited to get into Matthew 7, 24 through 27. You can follow along if you want. It will certainly be on the screen as well. You can follow along in a Bible or on your app, on the phone, whatever you prefer. You know, this... um, this parable, i got to tell you, spending you know, s- some time in this, preparing for it today, it is, it is one of those teachings of Jesus that is, first of all, so basic, so basic. And, and, and I want us to think about that for a second, because when I say something is basic, I don't want you to think that that lessens what, what it actually is about, because if anything, what is basic is most important, Right? Because it's very foundational then to our lives. But it is one of those teachings that's not only basic, it is very, very profound and perplexing all at the same time. It's really interesting. And I think it really gives us a picture of the brilliance of Jesus' parables and the challenge and the depth they offer us. And so another reason why I think the timing of this sermon series is so important for us as we get back into it Uh, reframing your view. Believe me, we're going to do that today. Just even a week away from worship, being together, you know, I find that some of my view of things gets a bit dismantled, a a bit off kilter, like a picture in which the frame is off-centered or tilted, right? Are you one of those people that you have to go over to the wall if you see something off like that and you have to adjust it? Yeah, I'm one of those people. Anyway, we're reframing our view, so to speak. Here's a question I want us to consider as we get started. You ready? Yeah? Ready? When you think about obedience to God, what do you picture? What do you picture? Now, I don't expect you to say this out loud, but but think about it just for a moment. Do you see obedience to God as being something like a dog to its owner? Or, or, or maybe a boss to employee? Or, or maybe like child to parent? Where, where do you see obedience to God? It's such a foundational thing in the Christian walk, in our relationship with Jesus. And, and we're going to talk about foundations today. In Matthew 7, 24 through 27, I'm going to read that for you in a second. But you know what I think about when I, when I read this parable? If you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. At least if you grew up in church when I grew up in church. I'm sorry, by the way. <laughs> Just kidding. Do you guys remember felt boards? Yeah. It, if kids, you, you wouldn't have a clue what this is. But pieces of paper 
that could stick, that, that something on the back that could go onto a, something that was felt and it would stick to it. And so what I picture in my own mind, I think we all have a picture when it comes to something like a parable, if we have some history in the church, I picture this picture of one house that's on sand and another house that's on a rock, right? You're with me on that? Do you remember that? Sort of? Yeah? That's what I picture. And, and it's a vivid picture. I think, again, the brilliance of the parables, vivid pictures that stick with us and, and kind of grow inside and allow us to see truths that we never saw before as we experience certain things in life. Look at verse 24, it's where we'll start. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man or a wise person who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man or person who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the same floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And it says, and great was its fall. Think about it for a second. Do you think God knew that this last year was coming? Do you think he knew? Yeah? Do you think he knows what's going to happen next? Like this week? Like in the coming year? Do you think Jesus knew that what was coming for his disciples and those who were standing before him, do you think he knew it was to come? I want you to think about that for a second. Uh, this parable is written in a particular context. It's actually referencing the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous of all sermons. Thousands of people in the Galilee as Jesus stood on the side of a mountain and they, you know, dispersed all throughout that mountainside, listened intently, recorded in the Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount. That's what this parable is about. It's kind of like a running commentary of what Jesus was teaching in that. It's a picture for us. But even more specifically, I want us to understand that in Matthew's gospel, what Jesus is in particular pointing to is what comes just before this parable, and, and that is what we see in verses 21 through 23. And so if you're, you're looking on, you can look with me, but it says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. It's speaking of obedience. On that day, on what day? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. The day when we stand before God. On, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Some have called this the scariest section of verses in the Bible. 
for good reason. Because they take some explanation in one sense or another. But what Jesus is doing is he is, he is defining obedience. And it's something that we have to reframe our view around over and over and over again. Believer in Christ, this is necessary. No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus or how new it is to you, or if you've never accepted Jesus, how new it's going to be when you accept him in your life. Praise the Lord, I pray and hope you do. With a little parallel referencing, what do I mean by that? Really important as we study God's word. Parallel referencing, looking at what this verse means in the context of all of the scriptures. And it's easy here because we're in the gospels given a parallel reference to the parable in Luke chapter 6. And I'm going to read that for you because it defines or helps us understand what Jesus is saying here because Luke has recorded some other parts of this sermon that Jesus is, is preaching. And he begins in verse 46 by saying this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? It's another part of the preaching or teaching that that Luke does, that records that Matthew doesn't. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? What if Jesus asked you that today? Maybe Jesus is asking us that today. Jesus is defining obedience in the kingdom of heaven. He's re framing our view of what kingdom living is really like. Remember, the crowds were coming to Jesus mesmerized by his power and wisdom. He was in that stage of ministry. has become quite popular. Many would come to him. Many would call out to him, claim faith in him. But would they be there when he was tried and condemned? Would they be here? Would they be there, excuse me, when people all over the city were saying, he is resurrected, I've seen him. Would they be there when he ascended back into heaven? Would they be there years and years and years and years later when a preacher would stand in a pulpit and say, do you know him? Jesus is telling us first, he's giving us this picture. You'll see it up on the screen. I want to explain it a bit. If you don't understand this first, you're going to misunderstand all of the teaching, so we start here. Jesus is telling us that we're all obedient to something or someone. In other words, we all have faith. No one is faithless. No one is foundationless. We have our influences and upbringing. It aids in determining what we're standing upon. I mean, we all have our sources, which shape our convictions and beliefs and preferences, which determine how we think. Therefore, it frames the way we see the world. These make up the rules and the guide to our behaviors, which is obedience, and therefore what we seek to accomplish. We all follow a set of morals or rules. We all have our faith in something. We all have a religion, so to speak. But not all things, Jesus says, are solid and lasting. This is the basic part of the teaching. Have you ever been told by someone, I, I don't believe in anything? <laughs> Have you ever been told, 
by someone, well, I, I don't really do that religion thing. It's not really my style. It's not really my thing. You know, important thing to ask in this sense is, well, then what do you believe? Or what do you follow? Because Jesus is making clear, and we know this from life experience, we all follow something. See, Jesus is looking at this from a different perspective than what we are often looking at it from. He's showing us that disobedience, remember the wise builder, the wise builder is one who is obedient to his word. The foolish builder is the one who is then disobedient. Jesus is showing us that disobedience to his word then is foundationless. A weak foundation is one that is external or provisional or what he's calling built on the sand. I thought about maybe getting a big bag of sand and dumping it out up here, but I didn't think that would fly with those who had to clean it up, which would have eventually been me. So anyway, so I didn't do that, but picture with me sand and building something upon it. It was 1987. I was told by someone after the first service, and I was like, whatever, seven years old or eight years old. And uh, it was July, and a uh, big storm was coming right, right towards Minneapolis, right into the metro area. We, we didn't know at the time, you know, we didn't have National Weather Service updating every four seconds then. <laughs> but we had the news, and they were saying, this, this is going to be a pretty bad storm, pretty bad thunderstorms coming into the area. One person reminded me that you could read a book, there were so many flashes of lightning. <laughs> As it started to get dark, I mean, summer months, so this was late, this storm rolled in, and man, did the rain come. And there's a tornado with it, too. It was a nasty storm. You might, you might remember. And, and some of it hit, the, that tornado hit some of that northern suburbs, just north of Minneapolis, north Minneapolis in itself, if you recall. And, and, and the reason I remember this is because where I was living, our whole basement flooded. And we were downstairs sheltering from the storm. And, and, and soon the, the water was up to our ankles and then up to our knees, and we realized we got to get upstairs, but it's safer in the basement. But we had, to, we had to go upstairs to the bathroom and hide in the tub. If you didn't have a basement like in the south, that's what you would need to do, right? But I also remember this part of the story, that we were trying to save a few things because the basement is flooding, and my dad ran into the laundry room to grab a six-pound bag of cat food because we had a cat at the time. <laughs> but it was already wet on the ground. So you know what happened? When he lifted it up, six pounds went all over and started floating in the flooded basement. I don't know what was worse that we had to redo our basement because of the flood or because of the cat food. Seriously, it was disgusting. Anyway, the reason I bring up the story is that north of here, there was a trailer park that got ravaged. And there was lives that were lost, if I'm not mistaken, because you know what a trailer is. It's provisional. It's temporary living, so to speak. It doesn't have what? A foundation. What you see is what you get. What's above ground is all there is. This is Jesus 
This is Jesus' illustration to our lives. And it illustrates a really strong point. Our story is a picture of two builders. Simple. They have the same house. But what's below is really what matters if it's going to last. I mean, you can have the biggest and the greatest and the most technologically advanced home, but without a solid foundation, you're going to get into trouble when some of these things, like we're experiencing this year, come up. Basic. We all understand this. He's talking with a member of the church about the company he works for. You all know him. He's talking about these extravagant homes that are being built in places south of Bloomington, we'll just say. <laughs> and, and we were talking about some of the advances in what's being built. And it's just incredible to hear what some of these homes have, not just to mention the square footage. And we're talking like parade of homes type of homes. But what we were talking about was how you can have everything on a grid. And, and I mean, maybe you guys already know this, but I, I guess I'm, I didn't. But... I mean, you can have everything functioning from, from your hand, controlling all of what's in your home from your cell phone. So, so if you want to change the furnace, maybe some of you have this, you can change it on your phone. If you're away, you can change this and that. You can change the color of your lights. You can per- turn the lights on. You can shut the garage. You can turn on the microwave. I don't know. But incredible Incredible technology in these homes. But, but it goes to illustrate even a further point. We are impressed by what we see on the outside, right? I am anyway. But it's really what's underneath that is most important. See, foundations aren't popular. My brother built a home, and he didn't call me out to come look at the foundation. <laughs> he didn't do that. Why? He waited until something was built above ground because that's what catches our eye. That's what we care about. We are impressed by what is above ground. We are impressed by what is external because what we see gives us the appearance of what is right and true, what is, what is secure and, and is safe. And yet we know biblically, we know biblically it will not last. So we need to consider reframing the way we think about things. Not not to reject what we see, but to appropriately see for the way they are and from a lens in which shapes our thinking about what is biblically accurate. And by the way, if there is ever a time that the church needs to be biblically accurate, it is today, is it not? Because everyone has an opinion on what's going on in society today. And, And everyone's telling you, what you are to think. And then you're sending emails so that we know what's coming ahead. And some of it could be true and some of it might not, but we have to be careful, do we not? To accurately apply God's word to our situation. Why? Because Jesus said, this is how we build our foundation. And the obedience is not to what we see externally. Our obedience is to God's word. Pretty simple, and yet really what it is is the most difficult thing we face in our lives. And it takes discernment. It takes an incredible discernment, church. 
believer in Christ, the way we accurately apply, apply, excuse me, the word makes all the difference in the world, so we better have discernment. In our case here, Jesus is reshaping our view of obedience. This is where I want to spend our, our time today. He's, he's addressing our way of thinking and of what true obedience is and what it looks like in the kingdom as we follow Christ. Notice that the wise builder and the foolish builder went through the same thing. D don't overlook this part of the story. They both experienced the same rain, the same floods, the same winds. Only one made it through, the other fell apart. We all handle things differently. Think about the last year. Some thrived. Some crashed. Some are still in the middle of that. Why do you think God gave us the church? To support one another, to build one another up. Why do you think he gave us his word to encourage us? Why are so many disconnected from the church? We have an enemy that does not want us to be encouraged, does not want us to unite. Notice the wise builder and the foolish builder experienced the same thing, but one was prepared, the other was not. What separated the two, though, was what? Think about it for a second. What separated the two was what? It was obedience. But herein lies the perplexity of this passage. That the obedient and the disobedient went through the same thing. Does that not bother you a little bit? <laughs> He's addressing a common misconception of life in a broken world. That obedience means I will not have to face hardship. That if I was a better person, God would not be punishing me. That if I could just grit my teeth and do more, then God would like me. God never promised ease in life. He only promises good to come out of what he is doing and willing in this world. He's changing our perspective. He's reframing our view. See, we can only see storms as bad if we look at them from the external, above-ground perspective. But the storms of life are not all bad because they show us what our true foundation is. They expose what's underneath. They expose what's inside. See, without storms, I get really prideful. I get arrogant. I start to think that I can do things on my own and I don't need my creator. Same thing with comfort. When I get too comfortable, I forget my dependency. I forget where my true peace lies. Causing me to buy into all of the misconceptions the world is throwing at me. That I can get by on my own strength that I can get by on the influences around me or the heritage I was born into. Believe it or not, Jesus was speaking directly to the religious leaders that thought they could do righteousness on their own. They could follow the rules and the regulations, and if they just followed them enough, what? 
they would be right with God, that they would be in good standing with God. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying the opposite of. Romans 8, 28 first. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see before you the ESV. I just read for you the NIV. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And, and both, both are saying the same thing. But, but, but I like the way this is phrased in the NIV. And we know that in all things. And here's why. Not all things we will like or will be good to us. Instead, God works in all things. That's the promise. God works in all things. That's what's comforting. God works in all things. I don't understand them, but God works in all things. He works good in all things. He, he will work out good in all things. In the end, he will work good in all things. He's changing my perspective. He's reframing my Way of seeing things. Number one, the last two points. God's intentions are for lasting stability and protection is what Jesus is showing us in this parable. God gave us his word to protect and guide our souls. Stability is found in the rock, and the rock is Jesus because having faith in the Savior is more stable, and not only more stable, he stood in our place. He stands for us. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. We can proclaim that I am who I say I am because Jesus stands in our place. Our obedience is his obedience. That's why he is the one who produces the fruit. See, God is a builder. He's doing something in us. He's drawing us to himself, and he's doing something in the world. I love what Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him. The receiving part is the beginning. But it's an ongoing work. And the work is done by him. Surrender is the part that we need to be living in. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. God is doing something in us. He's establishing something, and it's a process, a process that sometimes is not comfortable, and other times is downright difficult. But just as you were taught, we can abound in thanksgiving, we can grow in our understanding and be grateful for what he is doing. Why? Because in all he is working out good things. Finally, God's intentions are to build his kingdom and not our kingdoms. We focus on the here and the now. We can only see what's above ground, our world, our nation, our communities, our needs. And we're really good at that, by the way. We're really good at only seeing those things sometimes, focusing on those things that are happening in our world. And by the way, I'm certainly not saying we shouldn't be. But what I am saying is this, God sees all things. Past, present, future, he's in them, all things. And he's building something that may be a process that we don't always understand, but it is something that will last forever. Hebrews 
12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You know that kingdom is Christ. He is the rock for which our lives stand upon. Our, our faith and our obedience to his kingdom is something that he stands in place for us. And this is a sure foundation. Do you know that Jesus stands in your place and therefore you are accepted by God if you have received his forgiveness and you're walking in the grace of his forgiveness? It's not an obedience like a dog in which if God looks down upon you and you're not being obedient that day, he's fallen out of love with you. Rather, what God is doing is building you up to be a part of this kingdom. And so as I think about what God is calling us to consider today, it's just this simple question. What am I building my life upon? Is it, is it something external? Is it just above ground? Or is it something that has depth? In other words, a foundation. Is that foundation Christ? Who are you building your life upon? When I think about this, the first thing I think about, and the first thing I want you to consider before we go to prayer is this. Of all the things... Of all the things in my life that I have accomplished, what am I most proud of? Because it tells me something about what I think about is worth living for, is worth sacrificing for. Of all the things that I've accomplished, what am I most proud about? Is it a graduation? Is it making a, a squad? Is, is it a diploma? Is it a, a degree? Is it, is it military service? Is it the dream job or the work accolades? Is it something you built with your hands? Is it family related? Is it your kids? Is it a place you got to? Retirement? See, all those things are external. They're, they're above ground things. Nothing wrong with them. But if we think that building our life upon those things will somehow sustain us, somehow bring us to a place where we will be at peace, we've got another thing coming. See, God is trying to show us that the only things that will last are the things that are eternal, and Jesus is showing us that here. So if you would bow your heads and we could then go to the Lord and ask him what it is we need to see in this. I, I want you to consider these questions. What, what am I building my life upon? And as we pray to God and ask him to reveal that to us, I pray that he would open our eyes to the very specific things that we will walk in, even today in this week, in which we need to give to him. Would you do that with me? Would you bow your heads with me? And, and would you... Would you consider these questions? Lord Jesus, we all put our faith in something. But only things that are eternal are secure. Right, true, lasting. Man, I need that reframing today. Right here and right now. It's so easy to build foundations that are external and then fall into the trap of thinking that somehow that's going to help. Oh, maybe for a short time. 
Lord, only things that eternal will last. That's why, Jesus, you're the only, the only foundation that can withstand what life throws at us. Because we're all going through the same thing. In one way or another, this year, this life, timing might change, but we're all going through the same thing. And when it comes, may we be ready. For when we have a solid foundation, it will last. What a hope that is, Jesus. That in you it will last. Might be hard, might be tough, but it will last. Lord Jesus, thank you. We pray this in your name, amen.